Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. This morning we're going to be talking about contrast. We're going to be talking about uh, kingdom contrast and different levels of white, different levels of purity. Before we do, though, I'm going to ask everybody to stand and give the Lord one last cheer for 2018 gathering together. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You guys can be seated. Amen. You know, during, uh, during worship and during offering and announcements, I, I felt like, like uh, what I desire church to be. I believe that church is you're coming to a wedding. I believe that uh, the Lord has prepared a table. The Lord has prepared a feast. The Lord has done so many things, and we should come with that expectation, but also come with that posture of, you know, it's not about us as much as it's about the wedding and the couple and whatever it is that God is trying to do in that place. So our, our worship team, actually, they have a name. It's called Unveiled. So that kind of goes with the theme, right? The veil has been lifted. The moment has come where we get to kiss the bride or we get to worship and sing unto him. And then I'm listening to the announcements and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm glad to be part of this church. All the things that God is doing, whether it's uh, our Friday night prayer and people are encountering the spirit, people who are coming to serve and to clean in the church, um, you know, are getting engaged for their own for their own wedding and marriage, and uh, let let that be a, a testimony. Some of y'all single folks out there need to join the cleaning ministry. <laughs> you you got to learn to serve if you want to be blessed. You know, of all the places that uh, that God could could have that moment, I think it's it's powerful, and people need to pray and consider that that of all the places you could go, Steve, that uh, that you chose to do it here in the church uh, with the Lord. And uh, not before everybody like this on a service day, but on a Saturday when people are cleaning, man, the Lord is going to, I believe, do wonderful, wonderful things for you guys. So, so, so amazing. I wish I had more time uh, to talk about it. But, and then Gary getting up here and, and ministering and, and like a wedding, I've done weddings in the past. Uh, you, for me, I always feel like, man, don't screw it up. You know, everybody's looking beautiful. The day has arrived. Everything's been planned. All you got to do is get up there and not screw it up. And uh, that's kind of how I feel this morning, man. God is moving. God is, uh, I believe he's being glorified. I believe he's revealing himself. So my goal is uh, not to screw it up this morning. Uh, I had you stand and cheer because the Lord deserves it. But also at the end, I'll be able to say, when somebody says, how's the message? Well, everybody was standing and cheering when I was up there. (laughs) So contrast. (laughs) 
Contrast, right? So these different levels of white. I, I, uh, I appreciate the, the video and something that we don't often think about, especially with our TVs today. But I remember back in the day, none of us really knew how it worked, but we'd go, fix the contrast, fix the color, turn some dials, see if you can make it clear. And uh, so I thought it was good that there's different levels of white. There's different levels of purity. And I think sometimes, you know, when you look at your own life or we look at the lives of others and we begin to compare it, we can say, oh, well, I'm, I'm pure or I'm holy or I'm white or I'm what God would have me to be. But then when you stand next to somebody that's been using that Tide and that Clorox, all of a sudden you're like, man, it's kind of a dingy gray. I thought it was white, but only when you're standing next to somebody who maybe is wearing black, right? So this morning, uh, I think it's going to be good for many of us to consider kingdom contrast. Right? What you say is holy, maybe, versus what the Lord says is holy. What you say is, is clean and pure and honoring to God, maybe, versus what he would say. <clears throat> so Gary mentioned that we finished up our, our study through Hebrews right on time. God's timing is always, always perfect for the last Wednesday of the year, last Wednesday of the study. Some of the things that we saw in Hebrews is that... Uh, there's one greater than angels, there's one greater than Moses, there's one greater than Joshua and greater than Aaron and the, the high priestly line, and we saw that that was Jesus. It took us a whole year, you know, I, I know it flies by for, for some of us, and maybe for some of you, 2018 couldn't leave quick enough, but, uh, but we saw all for a whole year, especially for those who were a part of it, how much greater Jesus is than, than everyone that has come before. You know, it, it's one thing to give honor and glory to angels and to Moses and Joshua and Aaron, but they're a different white <laughs> than Jesus is. There's some contrast there. There's differing levels of holiness and greatness and uh, the number one spot. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to see, we won't get to cover all of it, but in Matthew chapter 12, we see that there's one greater than the temple. There's one greater than Jonah. There's one greater than Solomon. And just like Hebrews, we know that it's Jesus, right? He's the greater one, the greater glory, the, the brighter white. Um, where we are going to focus is on the Sabbath, the one who's greater than the Sabbath. We saw that in the video, this, this contrast. So this morning, we're going to hold up the Sabbath, and we're going to hold up the Lord and see two different types of white, two different types of purity, two different types of honoring the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start off with Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It'll, it'll come up for you guys, hopefully. Uh, when we talk about the Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Say holy. holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the Lord created all of creation in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. In Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at the Ten Commandments, and there are many others, but this is where God commands us to do the same thing. He says, you need to have a Sabbath. You need to recognize the Sabbath. You need to keep it holy, and there should be no work done in order to do so. So that's kind of our background for jumping into Matthew chapter 12. If you're there in Matthew 12, say amen. amen. If you're there, say Sabbath. All right, if you need a second, say wait. wait. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're going to add some. 
Praise the Lord. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. We'll jump around, but it'll be on the screen for you. So just open your Bibles to Matthew 12. Open your apps, your phone, whatever it is that you got. Be in Matthew 12, and uh, <clears throat> you can stay there as we jump around a little bit today. So the Sabbath, Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read? Say read. read. Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priest. Or have you not read? Say read. Read. We got to read, church. Amen. Jesus starts talking to people, and he's not just having a random spiritual conversation. He says, my conversation is going to be based on my word. Amen. When people want to have spiritual conversations with you, ask them, is this based on the word of God? Where can we learn about this? Where can we study this? Or is this just your spiritual wisdom and knowledge that you have? Jesus does that all the time in the scriptures. Jesus said to them, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and they are blameless? Yet I say to you, in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So good. Stop there at verse eight. So what are we actually talking about here? When we look at number one this morning, we're talking about work, work on the Sabbath. This is, the, again, the background, the conversation that the Pharisees are yelling at Jesus. Look at your disciples. They're working on the Sabbath when they should be doing nothing. And Jesus is trying to tell them, hold up a little bit of a contrast of what the Sabbath really means. Accusing his disciples, Exodus 20 says, you shall do no work on the Sabbath, doesn't it? Somebody say amen. And because they're walking through this field and they're hungry and they start picking the heads off of the grain and eating it, right? They're laboring for the Lord. They're walking. They're following Jesus. They, uh, they say to him, look, they're working. They're harvesting. It doesn't sound like much, but they're actually harvesting a field when they're walking through it. When it comes to the Sabbath, God desires that we rest. God desires that we focus on him and all the goodness that his labors have brought into our lives, but also all the goodness that our labors have brought into our lives, right? All week long, God has done stuff for us and met our needs and blessed us. And many of us, we went to work all week long. And at the end of the week, we get a check, right? And we're supposed to stop and say, Lord, thank you for everything you brought into my life. Lord, thank you for allowing me to be uh, capable of going to work. Thank you for everything that you've done. And we're supposed to stop and, and give him honor and glory for that. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not about doing absolutely nothing as if we're dead. It's the Sabbath. Don't move. Don't smile. You're using your cheek muscles. I know people who live like that. They say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to answer any phone calls. Don't bother me. I can't help you. You got a flat tire. I'm sorry. It's the Sabbath. You're starving and hungry. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you. It's the Sabbath. That's not what the Sabbath is about. That's not what it's for. God did not intend us to sit down and not move, even with the Lord. How many of you think after six days of creation, he just stood still and didn't do anything? 
The Bible tells us that he's still the one that puts air into our lungs. He's still the one that holds the stars and holds the earth in their place. There's still things that he's doing, right? He's just not actively laboring the way that he was during creation. Some of the things that Jesus says here in these first few verses of Matthew 12 are so important. Verse 5, he says, Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and they're still blameless? What's this about? Every day, the children of Israel, through the priests, had to make an offering. We always hear about the annual ones, and people would come together, and they'd bring their offering. But every single day, that was the job of the, of the priest, of Aaron's line and the, um, um, the Levites. So while you're going to work, they're making offerings, right? While you're going throughout your regular day, they're in the temple praying on your behalf. That was the job of the priest. So when it got to the Sabbath... They actually still had work to do, which would make them actually in violation of the law. If you're with me, say amen. amen. This is what it says in Numbers uh, 28 about the Sabbath day's offering. Numbers 28 verse 9 says, On the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour as, of grain, as a grain offering, mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath. Besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. So listen to what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees who are upset with him and his disciples for eating a little bit on the Sabbath as they walk through a field. Jesus says, listen, when it came to the temple, every day they had to make an offering. And then on the Sabbath, they had to do three times as much labor and offering on the Sabbath because it was about honoring God. It says besides the, the one lamb that always had to be offered and the one grain offering that always had to be offered, you're going to do twice as much in addition to that. Three times as much labor on the Sabbath. And he's trying to get these Pharisees to understand that they're missing it. Their version of holiness and honoring God is a little bit gray. But Jesus has a virgin that's pure and holy and, and bright white. You're doing more work, not less. <clears throat> it's not the righteousness of not doing anything, right? That's how the Pharisees would show their, how righteous they were. They didn't do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus says there's something else that's got to go on here. Why did God give us this command? Why did he say that you shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath? He's really trying to deal with the people who were going to push God to the side and instead of honoring, for, honoring him for what he's done in their life and what they've been able to do in their lives, um, they would instead say, listen, why work only six days when I could work seven and gain more? Why spend hours staying at home when I could go out and shop and buy and sell and continue to accumulate wealth from the blessings that God has given us? Think about that in, in today. We have a couple of companies who have decided not to be open on, on Sundays, and it's, it's mind-blowing to the world. They look at Chick-fil-A and they say, you guys know how much money you make? Why would you ever close on Sundays? You look at a company like Hobby Lobby that's not open on Sundays. And we as Christians, I think a lot of times we just look at it as, oh, they're Christian and they want people to be able to go to church on Sunday and they want people to be able to spend time with their family on Sunday. No, I think it's more so about this Sabbath understanding, right? That it's not about how much can we get and accumulate and buy and sell, right? It's not only about that. Why don't we stop and say, God, we honor you and we love you and we're so grateful for what you've done. 
We'd rather make what we make in six days and honor you than go out and do a seventh day and dishonor you. That's why the Sabbath law was given because God knew that unless he forced that upon people, their hearts would go in the other direction. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, is the law then against the promises of God? Because now we have a contrast. Say contrast. So now we've got the law saying, don't do anything. And then we've got God saying, but my priests, the holy ones, the ones who are in the temple, are actually going to do more work than they normally do. We've got the law saying you shouldn't do anything at all. And then we've got these companies saying, no, actually, we're going to close on, on Sundays. Not so we can do nothing, but so that we can further and with more energy and with more fervor go and serve and worship the Lord. All right? So that's what Galatians starts off with. Is the law then against the promise of God? Why do we even have it? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which would, could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. Say all. all. Say you. you. Say me too. me too. That's what all means. You and me too. All of us. Okay. The scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what the scripture says is that the law showed us the corporate model and what was going to happen to us, right? The law said, look, if you don't have this law that says one day you've got to stop everything and honor me, you will become a people who work seven days a week, never honor God, accumulate, 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 accumulate as much as you can, and you'll kill yourselves, and God will disappear. In Galatians, it says that's a tutor. That law is there, not as the end all and be all, so that you can be a Pharisee sitting around someday saying, I don't do anything on the Sabbath. No, it was a tutor to bring you to Christ. Righteousness isn't going to come through that law. That law is going to put you in a position to experience and receive righteousness. Righteousness doesn't come from coming to church on Sundays. No, the law of coming to church on the Sabbath or coming to church on a Sunday puts you in the right position to receive Jesus. It's not Jesus. There's two different types and two different shades of white. There's the gray shade that, hey, I made it to church. And there's the white, white shade that says, when I got there, I met Jesus. Contrast. The law was never going to deal with what was in us. It was just going to show us what was in us. When the law says, one day you cannot do anything but rest in the goodness of God, your heart begins to show you, I don't want to rest in the goodness of God. I don't want to stop laboring. I don't want to have to go to a place where I can make an offering and glorify him. I really want to do my own thing. The law shows you that. It wasn't going to deal with it. It was just going to show you. That way, when the one who comes who's greater than the Sabbath, you'd be like, man, you're the answer to the problem that I have. I didn't even know I had a problem until that law showed me that I had a problem. I didn't even want to go more than 45 miles an hour until I saw that sign that said speed limit. 
45 miles an hour. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He's saying, look, you're bound by it. You know it's hard. It's, it's not built for you to serve the law and to be a Pharisee that says there's no work that's going to happen on the Sabbath. He says, I didn't come to destroy all that and get rid of it. I came to fulfill it. You cannot fulfill it. You cannot make yourself white, white. I came to, fill, to fulfill it, not to destroy it. Another thing he says in these first few verses of uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 7 Jesus says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, look, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm God in the flesh. Don't tell me what my people cannot do on the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, you've completely missed it because you've made church and you've made law your God instead of me your God. How many of us do that in the church? We get frustrated with people that don't do things a certain way at the day and time that they're supposed to do it and looking the way that they're supposed to look and saying the things that they're supposed to say. Jesus says, the way that they keep the law does not glorify God. Now, that might cut to the heart for some of us. Some of you may be keeping the law, doing what God says you're supposed to do as Christians, and it doesn't give them any glory whatsoever. Think about that. The Pharisees are fighting for the law. We have a Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, do not work on the Sabbath. Set it aside. Make it holy to God. And he's like, I got no glory in that, and I'm not pleased at all in that. And there are these other dudes walking around, 12 fishermen, tax collectors, walking through a field, breaking the Sabbath law, and he's like, those are the ones. How many people in this church, how many people in the church all over this nation and all over the world think that they are pleasing God, and they're like the Pharisees, and he's like, there's no glory for me in that. And the ones that we look down upon are maybe the ones that the Lord is saying, do it like them. Jesus would say, I think, that his disciples received and walked in mercy, but the Pharisees only grasped sacrifice. There was no love involved in it. I love what Gary had to say this morning. He said, hey, when you show up, show up with some joy. Show up with love. Pray over the food that you're going to bring instead of just making it and saying, I have to do this. That's Pharisaical. I'm going to go to a life group because that's what I'm supposed to do as part of the church. But... I'm going to go to the one that I want to instead of the one I've been asked to. But I'm going to show up and not be a help. I'm going to have a pouty look on my face. But I'm going to show up and praise God. I don't think anybody will poison the food, but still, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what Jesus wants. All you've done is that's just sacrifice. And he's not pleased in that. He's pleased with mercy. You've received the mercy and grace from God. And you're going to show up everywhere you go. And you're going to bring that with you. Matthew 12, 9 says, this is Jesus talking. It says, when he departed from there, he went into their synagogue. The the Pharisees, real quick, um, you have the priest who worked and lived at the temple in Jerusalem. 
right? And they're there all year long making these sacrifices and preparing for all the feasts that people come in and the things that have to be done at the temple. Then you have Pharisees that, that led local synagogues, which would be like what you're at today. A regular church away from the temple in Jerusalem. We all live in Southern California. We can't make it to Jerusalem every Sunday. Somebody say amen. amen. So you would go to a synagogue and there would be a Pharisee, somebody ordained by God there to tell you about the law and teach you about the law and to teach your kids. There's still Jewish synagogues all over the place. Look it up. They're all over every city, right? It's the same idea. So Jesus goes into one of those synagogues. He's not just at the temple. He's in the local community. Somebody say amen. amen. So good. So he departed from there, Matthew 12, 9. He went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they, may, that they might accuse him? He said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. So good. So number two, what are we talking about here is healing. First was about work, and now we've moved into healing. Imagine the picture. Jesus walks into a church, a synagogue, and there's a man that's got a withered hand. And they're asking him, is it lawful to heal him on the Sabbath? It's so sad that people can walk into the church and see broken people all the time. Withered hands, withered hearts, anger, frustration, unforgiveness. We have all these things in the church and Jesus is like, man, when I walk into the church, it shouldn't look like that. That's supposed to be the place of healing. Amen. Jesus walks in, there's somebody that needs to be healed in the church and the leaders of the church say, is it lawful? Today's the Sabbath. You should not be healing on the Sabbath. That's crazy. They're so focused on not working that even healing on the Sabbath offends them. What did Jesus do when, when he came to this earth? We just celebrated Christmas. He was born of a virgin, right? Then we hear about him at 12 years old, and he's preaching and teaching in the, in the temple. And then he starts this ministry. Jesus brought heaven to earth. Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth, the earth that we live in and walk in and breathe in this morning. Here's what happens when Jesus comes. He's constantly telling people that he came to heal and to save and to bless. When you ask people in the church today, why Jesus? What is he doing? What does he want for you? We have a new person walk in. We're all thinking, you know, what, what is it that God wants for that person? And too many of us are thinking they want you to get locked into the church. Jesus wants you to just be a faithful tither and giver. No, actually what he says is I came to heal, right? I came to save. I came to bless people. Amen. That's what God wants for all of us. Amen. Think about that when he walks into the church and they say, is it lawful to do what you came to do? You came from heaven to earth to do it, and we're going to tell you that you can only do it on six days a week. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In Luke 19, 10, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham and the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Imagine if that was the Sabbath. You think Jesus would have said, today salvation. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's tomorrow. <laughs> salvation has to wait till tomorrow. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come to except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. That's why Jesus came. Seek and save which, that which was lost to give life and salvation and to heal and to bless people. When he brings the kingdom of heaven to the earth, all other kingdoms and all other cultures are superseded. That's, right. that's his kingdom. That's his culture. It doesn't matter what culture you came from. It doesn't matter what kingdom you're a part of. His kingdom and his culture supersedes ours. If he wants to heal, he's going to heal, whether you like it or not. Whether it's the right day or the right time for you or not. Whether you've forgiven that person or not, Jesus has the right to forgive them. Whether you think they deserve healing and blessing and forgiveness, it doesn't matter because his kingdom culture supersedes yours. He gets to give it to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And our holiness is just a little bit gray. We have a different set of rules and regulations. We're just like the Pharisees way too often. 1 Timothy 1, verse 5 says, The purpose, say purpose. purpose. The purpose of the commandment is love. <laughs> from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some have having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Designed to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners. The law is to bring unrighteous to the righteous one. He says the Pharisees don't understand the law. They don't know how to use it. And the things that they're affirming to other people is wrong. <clears throat> the most important portion of, of that is uh, verse 5. 1 Timothy 1.5. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The Pharisees missed the purpose, Right? There's hungry men doing the work of the Lord, picking uh, the heads of grain and eating them so that they can continue to work, and the Pharisees are mad. There's a man sitting in the church with a withered hand, and Jesus comes in and wants to heal him, and the Pharisees are mad because it's the wrong day. They completely missed the purpose. The law wasn't to say you can't eat, and the law wasn't to say you can't be healed on certain days. The whole purpose of the law was love. A pure heart, good conscience. And sincere faith. When Jesus does the things that he does, that's all you see is love. All you see is a pure heart. A good conscience and sincere faith. Why would we want Jesus to be bound? Or why would we want these things of God to be bound by legalism? What we look like, what we wear, what day of the week it is, what service it is. It might not sound like much, but I really want you to understand what, what that same spirit that the Pharisees have, what it looks like in the church today. There are a lot of people who only live for Jesus on the Sabbath. 
they only live for Jesus on Sundays. And the rest of the week, they act as if God doesn't exist. It's the same spirit if you think about it, right? The Pharisees are saying the law says you can't do these things on certain days, and they miss the spirit. They miss the purpose of why the law was given. And there's a lot of people who today think that what it means to be a good Christian is to go to church on Sundays. God didn't tell us not to forsake the assembly and to make sure that we gather together so that we could all raise our hand when somebody asked, did you go to church this week? That's not the point. But if you're honest this morning, how many people think that that's the point? I went to church. I gave my tithe. I made an offering. I even read my Bible two or three times this week. Haven't I done what God has asked me to do? What about love? What about a pure heart? What about a good conscience? And what about sincere faith? What about the rest of the week when things happened to you and you were exposed to things and people said things and your coworker did this? Did you approach those situations with a good conscience? Able to say, Lord, I want you to bless them. Lord, I want you to help me deal with them. Lord, I want them to be forgiven. Lord, I want them to come to know you. Or did you say, no, all I have to do as a Christian is go to church. And thank you, Lord, that my church said that I don't have to go on Wednesdays anymore. (laughs) Cut by 50%. And I could still please you. (laughs) It's optional to go to to life groups. I'm not forced. (laughs) Think about that. It sounds funny, but if you're really honest this morning, there's so many of us who think about Christianity that way. God wants us to live every day, every night, and make every decision with love, with a pure heart, with a good conscience, and with sincere faith. If you're going to come to church every week and tithe and offer every week, but you're not going to do that, he's going to look at you like a Pharisee and say, you have not pleased me. That's shady gray. (laughs) Here's what I really wanted. If you were living like this, you'd be running to the church and you'd still fulfill that requirement. Because you couldn't wait to get with others who were able to say, man, I saw God overcome my bitterness this week. I saw God use me to provide forgiveness for somebody. I saw God uh, change what I thought was going to be just such a terrible season, and he made it joyful for me. I can't wait to go and hear that somebody got engaged this weekend. I can't wait to go and hear that somebody got touched during praying in the spirit this weekend. That's not the end all and be all. The other stuff, the rest of the week is the end all be all. When we come together, it's just to celebrate. Last portion. So we've talked about uh, work on the Sabbath. We've talked about healing on the Sabbath. And the last two verses I want to read are Matthew 12, 14, and 15. After all that, which is the same thing that happens after every church service, if I'm honest, Sometimes I'll meet with the elders and, you know, we're praying for people and, you know, we know what people are going through and more of you will know what people are going through as you uh, embrace life groups. But it's funny now when they tell me, you just preached on that or we just had a men's Bible study on that. How are people struggling with the same thing that we just preached on? I'm like, they're human. (laughs) Welcome to the world of the church. We hear things and it's as if we didn't hear them. So here's Jesus walking with his disciples. They're eating. And then he's teaching the teachers. He's teaching the Pharisees. He's saying, listen, don't you remember when David went into the temple, the showbread we learned about in Exodus, all the loaves? David went in there with a band of hooligans and they ate the showbread. 
imagine if some people were just running through the neighborhood right now, like, like running from the police, and they ran up in here to hide, and they started eating the communion. <laughs> That's David and his band of hooligans in the temple, and Jesus is telling them, they didn't do anything wrong. And then he's telling the Pharisees, don't you remember that even the priests at the temple, they make offerings, they're working on the Sabbath. And he says, okay, maybe that's too far removed from you. Let me talk about something that's current. I walk into your synagogue and there's a man who's broken. He's hurting. His hand is messed up. It's been that way for years. He thinks it's never going to get better. He thinks it's never going to change. There's another one where Jesus walks in and it says that he saw a man in there that had dropsy. Dropsy is a, a, a condition with your heart that causes fluid to go all over your body. Your heart shuts down. Your lungs shut down. I think that's probably one of the best because it's a heart condition that's affecting somebody physically. Same thing on the Sabbath. And they say, hey, are you, are you able to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus says, man, I came to heal. He starts healing dropsy. He heals the withered hand. Anything that's broken, when Jesus comes in, it gets healed. After all that, you would think that the religious folks would say, man, maybe we need to change a little bit. We've seen bright white, and our gray is starting to look a little dingy. Maybe we need to change a little bit. This is how they respond in verse 14 and 15. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. So last thing we're talking about here is marriage. How crazy is it? And I hope that none of us leave that way. If we've, if we've come up against our gray holiness, I hope the response isn't, man, how can we destroy Jesus? How can we destroy pastor? How can we destroy these leaders? All they do is try to make me, I know I'm white, white. And they try to make me feel like I'm gray. Man, these are the teachers of all the people. And they're saying, how can we destroy Jesus? Because he just shined a light in front of us. Here's the danger. It says that Jesus withdrew from them. I don't think anybody here wants the Lord to withdraw from them, but that's the only option. If you won't recognize his holiness versus our own holiness, if you won't recognize legalism and law versus grace and mercy, he will withdraw from you because that's who he is. And when he withdraws and he left the church, <laughs> we always say that the Lord will never do that. If you lead like this and you live like this, yes, he will. Because you're not his bride, you're not his church. He left them, but it says that, man, there was a multitude that followed him. And everybody that followed him, what did it say? He healed them all. I say that it's a marriage because when we choose to follow him, we follow him as a bride who understands submission, and we follow him as a bride who understands the blessing of being covered. Yes, we don't follow him as equals. We don't follow him as brothers. Amen. Like we said on Wednesday night, we don't follow Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not. That's right. I love, I really listen during worship. I really listen during announcements. I heard Gary get up here, and when he was talking to us and praying, he said that we are the church. And then he said that we are the bride of Christ. Amen. I was like, man, that's in my notes. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> See, a bride understands submission. A bride doesn't get engaged and start saying, how can I change this system to where he submits to me? 
to where he becomes, instead of my God, my Lord and Savior, he's just Savior and we're, we're on equal terms. No, he's first among equals. You have value, but he's the head. Anything with two heads is a monster. Jesus is saying, I want to be your husband. I want you to be my bride. I want you to know what it's like to be covered. I want you to know what it's like to be defended. When somebody comes against you and says, who do you think you are on the Sabbath walking and plucking heads of grain? Jesus comes in immediately and says, you don't have to defend yourself. These are my sons. These are my daughters. This is my bride. And they're only eating so that they can be sustained to continue to follow me. Imagine being a bride that doesn't have to defend herself. Imagine being a bride that not only doesn't have to defend herself against others who are accusing her, but at the same time defending herself to her husband. So good what Jesus offers us. Romans 7, verse 1. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, This is the connection for us as we close this morning. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He says, do you not know, my brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now... We have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So good. Jesus is telling these Pharisees, look, you guys are still married to the law and you're not serving in the spirit. You're in love with the law. You're not in love with me. You're not in love with grace. You're not in love with mercy. Everybody starts off married to the law, and he's a difficult husband to be with. Don't raise your hands, but any women in here know what it's like to be with a difficult husband? (laughs) Think about that. We all start off married to the law. He's very difficult, and this is what happens to all of us. You get one or two options. One, we realize how difficult he is, how difficult the law is, what a burden it is to be married to him, and we just step out right from the beginning. We become adulterous. <laughs> we say, we're going to go find somebody else. We're going to go spend time with somebody else, and we don't even care about the consequences. When it comes to sin, we're like, look, the law said I shouldn't do this, but I don't care. It feels good, and I don't even care if he wants to leave me. I wish he would leave me. <laughs> Because he's so hard to be with. It's so hard. If you go back through uh, Exodus and Leviticus and you see all the laws, you're like, man, I can't do it. I'm not even going to try. Shouldn't give up my body? I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Because I could try, but when 17 hit and when 18 hit and when 25 hit and I wasn't married, there was no hope for me. So who cares? Says that I shouldn't covet. 
says that I shouldn't steal, says that I shouldn't lie. I had already lied by the time I was five, six, seven. There's no point in trying to stay married to this guy. I'm done trying. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's option one. Option two is I'm going to do everything in my power to do it right. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to, I know what he says I should do. I actually think that he's telling me for my own good. I'm going to do everything that I can. Here's the hard part with option two. For those who have tried, we still fall short. We still make mistakes. We still stumble and we still sin. And you know what's terrible about being married to the law? You could be doing good for four or five years. You make one mistake and your husband's like, look at you. He doesn't tell you what you've been doing right. He doesn't tell you what you've been doing good, how long you've been doing good. Every time you make a mistake, though, he's right there to throw it in your face because that's how the law works. There's no grace with the law. This is what I told you you can and cannot do, and you broke the law. Again, we'll switch it around this time. Men, please don't raise your hands. You'll never, ever be forgiven. (laughs) But are there any men who know what that's like to be married to somebody who loves to point out every time you fall short? Loves to tell you what you said you were going to do that you didn't. Can't wait to tell you, man, you've been doing it right for a long time, and you have one little slip up. That's what it's like to be married to the law. When Jesus comes, the first thing he asks us is, would you like to be married to another? You've been with the law for a long time. Either you've been shady and been stepping out from the beginning or you've been trying to do your best and it still isn't working. Would you like to be married to another? But then he stops us because most of us are are ready to jump, right? Like, oh, yeah, I've been waiting. Please tell me how to get out of this relationship. He says, but wait, the process is difficult. The only way to be married to another is for one of you to die. (laughs) Isn't that what Roman said? Look, as long as you're both living... You can't be married to another, and if you try to be, that's called adultery, and you are an adulteress. It doesn't matter how bad your husband is or how bad your wife is. You should have chose wisely. Now we're back in the the regular world, not the spiritual world. Tell people all the time, choose wisely who you marry because you can't just leave. Should have chose a Christian. Should have prayed together. You should have learned what it was like to not be sleeping together and see if you actually have intimacy and communion and are able to talk to one another. See if he's forgiving. See if she's graceful. Then marry them. Because once you're married, you've committed before God and you cannot get out just by going down to the courthouse and signing some papers. Jesus says, listen, you can be married to another, but somebody's got to die. And then it gets a little harder. He says, by the way, I didn't come to abolish the law. It's not going to die. So who does that leave? Only you. You can be married to another but you got to die in order to be able to. He says, I don't care if you've been unfaithful to the law. I don't care if you tried to be as faithful as humanly possible and still fell short. If you die, I'll forgive you of everything that you've ever done, and I'll allow you to enter into a healthy and good marriage. He puts it this way about becoming his bride in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Jesus says, come to me. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Not like in the old school, uh, 
movies, right, where the girl has the, the bad boy boyfriend, and there's the other guy, and he's like, you need to be with me, girl. <laughs> but Jesus is literally saying that. You've got all these Pharisees, Pharisees who have the law and understand it, and then you've got all these sinners who had the law and they just said, forget it, yet we're still bound, right? You can act like you're not married to them because you're out in the world doing what I was doing and what many of us did before. So we've got the law and we're either unfaithful to it or we're trying to be faithful to it, but it's just such a crazy burden. And then on the other side over there, under the Christmas tree, <laughs> the present, is Jesus and he's saying, come to me. He's not afraid of your man. He doesn't say it on the slide, doesn't send you some Facebook message. <laughs> right in front of his face, the law is standing there. And Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've been trying to do what he's asking you to do, and you're just tired. You're just broken. You're just defeated. You, do, you feel good for a while, and then he just breaks you down again with his law. He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See, he says, it's still a marriage. There's still submission. There's still headship. But my yoke is different. Take my yoke upon you. This one's too heavy for you and it doesn't work. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, that's the kind of husband we need. As we walk out of 2018 and into 2019, worship team, would you come? As we walk out of this year and into the next year, Man, I hope that you're not still married to the law. You're in church, so hopefully that means that you either are a Christian, you're considering becoming a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but man, we can be pharisaical. We can be married to the law and the X's and O's, the letter of the law and not the spirit of it. All of these rules and regulations were supposed to put us in a position where we could fall in love with our new husband where we could die to our old life, be raised in newness of life, walk and live in the spirit, be married to one who covers us well and protects us well, loves us well, is forgiving, never throws it in our face. What did Jesus say? He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I'm not looking for a bunch of people who can just keep sacrificing and sacrificing. No, I want to show you mercy. I want to show you love. But man, there's some death involved in it. Why don't we stand? You don't get two husbands, you only get one. You either get the law or you get the son. You get the one who will be graceful. You get the one who will be merciful. But only one way to enter into a relationship with him. What a contrast it is to think that we could look like great Christians, we could do everything that we think we should be doing and live how we think that we should be living and still fall so short. As your pastor, <clears throat> I'm not looking for sacrifice either. I'm looking for a people who understand the grace of God and the mercy of God. And they're so excited about it. That the Sabbath is not a time to, to pretend as if you're not doing anything to give glory to God. But it's a time to say, man, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you've done. It's not one day out of seven to give glory to God. 
It's the one day that we get to do it together. Last scripture is Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Another story about Jesus, this, this great groom of ours. It says that all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees, same group, Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. <laughs> so Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Jesus tells the same story in so many different ways and so many different parables. Here he says, look, you're mad as the church that I'm spending time with sinners and I'm spending time with those who are sick. That's who I came for. These are my sons and my daughters and yes, they're wayward and they're lost, but I'm going after them. You righteous folks, you Pharisees, you who think you're holy, but it's just a gray shade of holiness. There's no joy in hanging out with you. The joy is, is going out and finding the sick and the hurting and the broken and the lame, the ones with withered hands, the one with heart conditions. I go and grab them. I throw them on my shoulder so they can stop working and I do all the work for them. And then I come and I rejoice with others that I carried into my kingdom as well. That salvation, the end of your work, the end of the law, and the beginning of the work of the Lord. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you've been considering giving your life to Jesus, but you haven't done it yet. Maybe you've been looking at how much you can do to make yourself better, and then where do I really need Jesus to kind of come in and fill in the gap for me? Hopefully, the work that the Lord has been doing has led you this morning to realize that, man, it's got to be all his work. You don't have to do anything. He doesn't want you to do anything. If you try to do anything, you end up a Pharisee and a lover of the law. He wants mercy. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to forgive you, not just have you fix everything that you've done wrong. The Pharisees and the church and the pastors and the Christian books will tell you all the things that you have to do to be a good Christian. But Jesus over and over and over will tell you, all those things were just to show you that you couldn't do it. And I've already done it for you. What I think will be the last time in 2018, I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to be married to another. To die to your old life and die to the law, die to sin and everything that we were involved in and be raised in newness of life. This is how it works. Lightning doesn't flash. Typically, there's no earthquake. We just make a decision that, man, when he says, come to me, I'll just say, yes, Lord, I'm coming. So if that's you, you've never done it before, but you want to this morning, would you raise your hand so we can see you? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Man, he's a good husband.
If you're here and you've made that decision already in the past, there was a day where you died to the law and you died to your old life and you came to, to be married to Jesus. But maybe you found that you've been stepping out on Jesus a little bit. Maybe you found that you're far from him, like you remember when you were close, but now that intimacy feels like it's gone. You don't feel his touch as often. You don't feel his embrace. You don't feel the joy that you used to feel. I want to ask that you would come so that we can pray with you and pray over you. That's not what he wants. That's the lies of the law trying to tell you that you haven't pleased him and that you haven't done enough. And Jesus is saying, man, come back to me. I'm still here. With the Pharisees, they thought how they could destroy him, but there was a bunch that followed him, and everybody that followed him got healed. This morning, I want you to be healed. I want you to deny that lie from the enemy, and I want you to receive the intimacy that he has for you. So if that's you, you've already given your life to the Lord, but you don't feel as close as you once did, you want that to end before this year ends, would you guys come to the altar this morning? We're going to worship and pray. We're going to have communion. But we want to make sure that you who feel far are brought back close this morning. There's no shame in that. If you're far, don't stay far. It's your own choice. It's your own choice. Hallelujah. And then the last group are those that uh, maybe you've been serving in, in the letter of the law, but not in the spirit of the law. Jesus said it's about love and a good conscience and a pure heart and faith, sincere faith. And maybe all that stuff has just been out of your mind and out of your purview and not really your focus. Uh, I also want to pray for you that 2018 would end and 2019 would begin with remembering the purpose of why we do this, why we come in out of church. So before we start, those are, the, those, are those that I want to be prayed for. So if that's you, don't wait. Now is the time. You have to respond. The altars are open and there's none here. So I'm going to assume that everybody is intimate with God. Everybody is right with God. Everybody feels his presence. Everybody is just more on fire at the end of 18 than you started. If that's not the case, now is the time. It's not tomorrow. It's not at 12 midnight on the 31st. It's now. Jesus says, I came into the synagogue and I will heal all who are there. Withered hands, withered hearts, dropsy, it doesn't matter. But when I leave, my presence leaves with me. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, for these who are here, man, Lord, bless them. Give them more than they ever asked for. Give them more than they ever desired. You know every ailment, Lord God. You were preaching in a house. You told one that he was forgiven, that everything had been changed in his life. You didn't even touch his physical body. Then you said that others would know. You told him to take up his bed and walk, Lord. There's, there's things that we are aware of as men and women, but you're aware of everything. And every heart at this altar, every mind at this altar, Lord, the things that have happened to them, the things that they've done from the beginning of their lives to this very morning, Father God, and you came to bring healing to them, Lord. Let this be a season of change and transformation, shifting, earthquakes, purifying fire in their lives, Lord God, that they would never be the same. Not just another message, not just another Sabbath, not just another Sunday gathering, Father God, but a time of you, your love. You are a good, good father. You are a good husband, Lord God. Release them from the law. Release them from requirements, Lord God. Let them experience mercy like never before. Let them experience grace like never before, Father God. And then let it be a witness and a testimony of your love 
love and power to all the rest of us, Father God. Let there be a special anointing upon them, Lord, as they've responded to you, Lord. Draw near to them. You say if we draw near to you, you are faithful to draw near to us, Lord God. You say that we should uh, flee from the evil one and pursue you, Lord God. That's what we've come to do here in this, this place this morning, God. Oh, you're so faithful, Lord. Fulfill your promises to your sons and daughters here in this place, Lord. We love you as our husband, Lord. We're honored to be your bride. Have your way. Let this year come and go, Lord. Usher in another one. We can't wait to see what you have for us in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to worship. We have some people that will pray with you guys. You can stay at the altar. Communion is able. You can have communion and you're released. Praise the Lord. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.